Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Stephanie Hupka, a chapter past president and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Eanes, the Vice President of Marketing and Communications. And I'm Leticia Niago, the 2022 President-elect. We also have Helena Hodges, Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. For this episode, we're interviewing an experienced learning, innovation, and performance strategist who was just recognized by the AITD as Australia's Learning Professional of the Year in 2017, the creator of ModelThinkers.com, Arun Pradhan. Welcome, Arun. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Well, we are thrilled to have you here today, and we're really excited about today's topic. I think this is a fairly new one for a lot of us here on the podcast. We're going to be talking about six mental models that every talent development professional should know. But before we jump in, before we start to get excited about mental models, we'd love it if you'd tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I've been um, in learning for quite a while, but before that, I studied in architecture, I worked in multimedia and web design. Um, I've had a pretty eclectic background, did a bit of advertising work at one point, but then been really working in learning and development for quite a while and largely been involved as a learning strategist, um, supporting companies to boost innovation, really bringing in, I was one of the early adopters of design thinking in, in learning and performance uh, and really quite obsessed about developing learning agility. That's fantastic. I think you will find a lot of friends here with you today and a lot of friends listening. I think we have a a great chapter made up of people who have some very similar interests. So, wow, great to have you here. And as we get started, I think a great place for us to begin our conversation would be to hear a little bit from you about what is a mental model. This may be a new term or a new idea for a lot of our listeners today. Yeah, so I, I think people know it intuitively. It's the sort of mental representation um, that you use to understand anything. Like, so we all use mental models. Um, yeah. We, like model thinkers, we have a broad definition. We involve, we use it to describe frameworks and concepts. And if you think about like a friend of yours now, and if you think of that friend, you will not think about them and their complexity and their completeness because it's too much for our brains to hold. Instead, what you'll do is you'll have a mental model, a mental representation of that person. So you might think of them as a friendly, caring person, or you might think of a particular event with them, um, or you might think of like, you know, just like their glasses and their, their sort of, I don't know, fuzzy hair, you know, like, so it would be a, <laughs> it would be a representation of that person. It's not actually them. And we use these shortcuts, these mental heuristics, if you like, to do everything because we just work in a very complex world with a relatively like limited brain, it's really amazing in lots of ways, but it's it's limited in other ways. So we use these shortcuts, these mental representations to do everything. So mental models are really um, something you're using now and people can use it more deliberately to get better outcomes. Ooh, I'm curious about how does that relate to cognitive biases? Because those are kind of shortcuts the brain takes too. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good link because... I mean, it's exactly the same principle. So any, any sort of heuristic is, can be <laughs> a bias. Yeah. So if you take, some, for example, I don't know, 
um, sunk cost fallacy, for example, where basically just because you've spent a bunch of money on something, you want to keep spending as opposed to taking it from a fresh start and just looking at it objectively right now. Um, that's a that's a heuristic that we just will t- tend to lean into. It's a mental shortcut that we'll just lean into without bringing consciousness to it. So unconscious biases are a lot of the mental models that we've listed on model thinkers. There's, if you if you look up under like I, I like to call them heuristics because as soon as you call them a bias, you forget the fact that some of the that they all have evolved and developed for a purpose. Yeah. You know, so that there's a reason for them. Like it allows us to process a lot of information quickly or to like, you know, reach an outcome fast in a really complex situation. And often that leads to negative results um, if we're not aware of them. So, but yeah, it's the same principle, those, those uh, concepts, which are just almost in the background that we don't shed light on. It's really interesting to hear you share some of that, and especially the idea of, you know, say, take someone you know very well. You don't necessarily think about everything that you know about them when you think of them, because like you said, it's it's a little too much to process. I'm wondering, when we're thinking about mental models, how have you seen these applied in talent development? I'm, I'm thinking, you know, are, are there strategies that talent development practitioners should consider or might be able to use as we're maybe looking at some of the training we do and wondering how mental models might impact or maybe even make our work better? Yeah, I think um, there's a number of ways. Because it's the way we think and the way we understand the world, I think as a starting point, we know from a learning perspective that if we engage with people's existing mental models and, and link with those, people are going to absorb information and absorb things more readily. There was a, a really great case study called Bartlett's, Bartlett's Ghosts, which I won't necessarily go into now. It's a bit too geeky maybe. But basically it, it showed, you can Google it, Bartlett's Ghosts, and it was a study a while ago where people were t- like absorbing a story. I'll try to do it very briefly. People were trying to absorb a story which was culturally totally different. It was from Native American Indians. And because they had no reference points, there was no sort of um, purchase in their minds. Their mental models were so different, they weren't able to remember it. And they literally adapted the story to fit into their existing like mental models, like essentially hero's journey, more traditional Western narratives. So you can see how people will start. It's basically a constructivist theory. People will start from a base of what they actually know, what they actually believe, and what they actually understand. So that's a really initial starting point. Beyond that, it's thinking about in any situation to help people understand what they need to do, what mental models, what new representations and mindset shifts are required, and to to explain that more explicitly than perhaps has been happening in the past. Hey, we love to geek out here, so no worries. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) Now, I have to say, I really enjoyed your article on uh, the six mental models every TD professional should know in TD Magazine. And, and I've been dying to ask you this question. So there's six mental models that you talked about in the article. But let's say you could only pick one that all TD professionals should know about. What would that be? Uh, probably not one of those ones, actually. Yeah. Ironically. Oh, you, you're not you're not limited to those. But what would what would it be? Yeah, because in the article, <laughs> I I focused on ones that I thought were more directly relevant to professional like professionals in our industry. Yeah. However, I think the real strength is actually drawing mental models from other industries ah. and like having a cross-disciplinary approach. But the brief I got for that article was, I choose six, so it was pretty tough to, I thought I'd just go with the more ones that people would expect. But frankly, I'd take one from quality assurance and go with the Credo principle. 
um, uh, and which is essentially the 80 20 rule because I just think I, that's the one I use the most in my life. Like whether I'm actually like um, last year I was designing a program for thousands, of, like it was tens of thousands of people, a skills uplift program. And my first thing, my first question was identifying the 20 percent of the population of the of that particular which segment was actually going to get us the most um, performance and business results and then even with that it was actually identifying which skills we're going to like, which we're going to get them closest to that 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 point but then even when I'm cleaning the kitchen I look at it and I you know I just like think well what's the 20 percent I can do here to get 80 percent of the value because we've never got enough time we always have to prioritize yeah. and I'm you know it helps kill perfectionism as well and it, the, the reverse of credo principle is the rule of diminishing returns. That is, the longer you kind of work on something, you are going to get diminished returns at some point. Like I could spend that extra hour in the kitchen, but people aren't going to see the in, impact of that as opposed to the first hour. So identifying the 20 in any situation from a skills challenge to um, like, you know, a conceptual challenge to just any uplift or behavior change, I think is just I just think it's crucial in terms of TD professionals and, frankly, anyone to prioritize in a, in a situation where we just don't have enough time or resources to do stuff. I love that. And I never thought of the Pareto Principle as a, a mental model. It's like opening up a whole new yeah. world for me here. Well, the latest one we use, and just to give you an example, uh, like the, we, we are taking a very broad brushstroke of what we call mental models. So the late, we feature one in our newsletter, Model Thinkers, every week. And the latest one, we had a bit of feedback from people saying, oh, we didn't think of that one as a mental model because we went with, I don't, I'm probably not going to say it right, but kintsugi, uh-huh. kintsugi, which is the Japanese pottery um, process of when a, when a dish is broken yeah. rather than throwing it away or pretending it didn't happen, you, you fix it with gold gold thread. So the, the breaks are really almost emphasized. And we use that as a, as a metaphor and a mental model to talk about failure, to talk about our world today under COVID. Um, So that can become a mental model to how we actually look at personal distress, like, you know, and like to give yourself a bit more compassion to like creating a new normal in, in a, in a COVID world. So the the good thing about mental models, because we we tend to think in metaphors, we tend to think with like very experiential physical representations. So I think mental models are very broad. And one of the challenges I see is that most people will be very siloed in their thinking. So they'll, they'll pick up a mental model, just say in parenting, right? Um, they'll pick up a mental model there and they won't think about how they can apply that concept in new and challenging environments in totally different contexts. So that, that's one of the great things I think about when you think about consciously mental models, you can start breaking out of your silos and um, being a more cross-disciplinary person and just using everything, like nothing should go to waste. No lesson should go to waste in your life is what my, one of my principles. Aaron, I wonder, are there certain factors that impact leveraging one model over another to be more successful in one area of our lives versus another? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think um, I, I, what I would recommend is that you don't just rely on one. Um, one of the things I'm, I really encourage and we encourage with mental models, um, with model thinkers is to develop playbooks. So just say if you've got a typical challenge, like a decision making process that you've got to make, um, you know, if I'm going to make a decision, firstly, I might, um, look at, I might use a pew matrix, which is just like a literally like you're just like listing the pros and cons and putting numerical weight to them. Or I might use Jeff Bezos's high velocity decision making. And that's got four steps. And one of them is, for example, thinking, is this a reversible decision? 
Um, I might do some scenario planning. So, like, you know, you've got a toolkit, and that's what um, Charles Munger, who's one of the, you know, the richest people in the world from um, Warren Buffett fame, um, he actually came up with this process of developing a latticework of mental models. So rather than just having – most people will just use the same mental models, usually unconsciously, for every challenge they, they face. And what, what Munger talked about, and now people like James Clear, Charles Duhigg, a lot of other people are talking about is this lattice work of mental models where you're actually getting a collection, a dynamic toolkit, if you like. And so any situation, rather than just go to your usual thing unconsciously, you actually go through your toolkit and think, what can I use in this situation? What's going to work best in this situation? And it might be a bit of experimentation. So it's trying to develop a bit more of a, yeah, a cognitive toolkit rather than just the go-to response in each situation. You know, I'm, I'm kind of curious listening to you, you talk about the different ways that you might be able to use mental models and not getting stuck using the same one over and over. Is there a benefit to applying multiple mental models to one challenge to get you thinking about it from different perspectives? Yeah. I mean, you actually just pretty much summed it up right there because oh. most people, <laughs> well, you know, the, the typical thing is like, you know, um, like most people when they, they'll just see a problem um, I can't remember what's that quote. Like it's like you know they'll see a problem as a nail mm-hmm. um, when when they're just they're just holding that one hammer. Like every yeah. problem just will, that we just go to the same old solution each time. Whereas if like so for example in a in a in our context when I work with L and D professionals, one of the things I often ask them to do first in a in a job is to imagine that they could not create any more content, um, that they could not they could not deliver or create any content. So there's no course, there's no content. And they can look at that, that, that challenge, that performance or behavioral challenge from different perspectives. So suddenly they've got to think about potentially nudging, like changing the environment or um, like conversations and creating environments which are going to create almost planned serendipity where people are going to be talking to the right people at the right time. Um, it forces a whole bunch of other solutions because the, our go-to mental model in, in our industry, unfortunately, is to create content and create a course. Um, which is really unfortunate because everyone's just drowning in overwhelm and we're just creating this sea of noise. Um, but right. That sounds a bit bleak, but it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> No, it's true. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it, ladies, you know I have to mention this, right? So, Aaron, you're, you're opening up a whole other world for me here, and I'm very excited about this. <laughs> oh, great. Have you ever done an escape room? Oh, I have actually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so one of my, th- my one of my things is uh, my husband and I go around and do. We, we've done hundreds of escape rooms, and oh. one of the things I like is we learn a lot about ourselves by doing them. And I just didn't even realize it because I talk a lot about perception in escape rooms. But what I think is escape rooms know the typical mental models that we have, and they mess with them. Right. When you were talking about breaking out of those silos of thought, you know, that narrow minded thinking, they purposely uh, the really good ones. Right. They develop those puzzles, I think, that go around the typical mental models that we fall into. And we have to train ourselves to see things differently in order to successfully get out of the room. So I'm just so excited you brought this up. I think that's a great metaphor. And what I find really interesting is like so you've had that experience how much. And so what most people would tend to do is they will come into an escape room and that environment will trigger them to think differently yeah. because they're experienced in it, right? And so they'll know that these things are designed to confound their assumptions. And so you'll almost think from an inversion point of view, like you'll go, you'll go the opposite. 
But how can you take that concept, those lessons, and apply that in your day job yeah. or in your the way you clean your house or in the way that you actually talk to your friend? So that that transferability. Um, so the example I often give is when I was um, like now my kids are old, right? Like nineteen, like is the oldest, and twelve is the youngest. But when my nineteen-year-old was like young. Uh, I was totally out of my depth and I was just reading every parenting book ever <laughs> and, and <laughs> in the hope that it would save me. And one of them was this, uh, came up with this idea of um, broken cookie, which was the idea that um, when your child like has a broken cookie and absolutely cracks it um, and like, you know, rolls around the floor yelling how it's not necessarily about the broken cookie uh-huh. and there are, uh, there are underlying unmet needs, often just being a child in an, in an environment where they're just like getting their needs not met or not being able to like, you know, open a door effectively and just yeah. like be working in our world, which isn't designed for them. It's really frustrating. And so the broken cookie was a pain point that we tend to focus on. So the immediate thing you tend to do is quickly go give them another cookie. And so that, that sort of process, and there's a whole thing behind it around nonviolent communication, which is going to underlying needs and so on. I really embedded that as a parent or tried to. Um, and then that's why I was one of the first movers into design thinking. Like I did it years ago before. Now it's kind of like like it's, everyone's doing it. But like I did it like about nine, ten years ago because I had that experience with my child and with that concept, that mental model around breaking cookies, looking to underlying needs, looking at from a user perspective or the, the human perspective. Um, so when I saw design thinking, it was really familiar of just transferring that concept into a, into a business environment. And so I guess. Think about the lessons you've got. Think about even if you feel like you've, you know, if you're raising a child and you've had to spend a year or wanted to spend a year at home away from work, you haven't lost out. You've had different experiences. And if you actually build this mental model approach, you can use those concepts to give yourself a bit of an edge and to give yourself a different perspective when you come back to work as well. This is really great information. Thank you so much, Arun. Now, what are some resources that our listeners could tap into to learn more? Yeah, so I mean, definitely check out Model Thinkers. We've designed it to make this whole process easier. So we summarize the big ideas from the big industries um, and like just really give it very focus on actionable takeaways. Um, there's also playbooks there which help tie them together for specific challenges. So, you know, there's one around how to be happier. And I think it's about 10 mental models which can support you to be happy, which is what we all need right now. There's one around like, you know, decision-making or whatever, that whatever the challenges our users are talking about, we try to create a playbook for it. And that's a really great start. And then I really recommend that you personalize it and work out your own group of mental models that you want in that challenging area. Um, beyond that, reading authors like Shane Parrish, um, James Clear, um, you know, they're two, two that really pop into my head in terms of atomic habits for James Clear and Shane Parrish has written a few books on mental models. Um, but the, the other thing is, um, newsletter model thinkers, it literally gives you one mental model a week. Ooh. And that's a re- you know, you can leverage compounding and start building up your library and your, your latticework of mental models that way as well. Oh, nice. I love atomic habits. And I know you mentioned Charles Duhigg earlier. I like some of his work too. Yeah, he, he really talks in terms of mental models and obviously he's applied it a lot in terms of habit formation. Um, and, you know, I think the, the nature of us thinking fast, if you like, um, and just not necessarily thinking totally rationally <laughs> yeah. leads to understanding unconscious bias. It leads to understanding nudges. It leads to understanding habits um, and just how we can leverage those more effectively for our work and ourselves. 
Oh, I love it. Well, and I, we still want to get some more resources out of out of you here. So we've got some rapid fire questions. At the end of every episode, we like to ask our guests rapid fire questions that take no more than about 60 seconds to answer. Are you ready? Yes. Awesome. Okay. So first one, give us one book that everyone must read and why. Now you have to choose just one. Yeah, I was going to go with Peak um, from Anders Ericsson, oh. but just since I was just talking about it, I'll go with Fast and Slow Thinking. Um, mm. And I think it, from Daniel Kahneman, and I think it's just a great grounder on how we are uh, predictably irrational um, to try to drop the name of another book as well. <laughs> um, yes. And it leads to just understanding that, you know, we are irrational beings and how we work. And therefore, you know, the idea that more content or getting the argument just so won't necessarily make a behavior change. And it's more yeah. behavior change is more complicated than that. Okay. So we'll let you throw in one more. So what was the peak one? <laughs> Our peak by Anders Ericsson is wonderful in terms of complex skills development. Like he looks from everyone from radiologists to opera singers to martial artists. And he unfortunately died at the end of last year. Or was it earlier than that maybe? Um, and, but he just has done so much research and basically done um, work around deliberate practice, uh, which is how you can actually, it's kind of intuitive on one level, but it's about getting um, expert feedback to develop expert mental representations or mental models um, as you're actually developing mastery. So it, it was, it was the, his research was what was taken by Malcolm Gladwell to talk about the 10,000 hour thing to, yeah. to learn a skill. And um, Anders Ericsson said, no, it's not about 10,000 hours. It's about deliberate practice. Deliberate. You can also you read the book, definitely read the book, but you can also see the summary of deliberate practice on model thinkers, which is one of my favorite oh, okay. ones. Okay. So. Perfect. Okay. Second question. What is a tool that you can't live without and doesn't necessarily need to be a tech tool? Yeah. So, I mean, probably Trello actually, like, or, or some sort of Kanban. Like I, I have for almost a decade, I think I've lived everything organized everything by Kanban and that mm -hmm. allows you I think the thing I like about the Kanban process and something like Trello and there are a number of tools there is about identifying what work you're currently focusing on on, on focusing like defining that doing and applying you know Parkinson's law if you like of, of like restricting and time boxing that amount of work that you're doing um, at any one point of time so I can capture everything in a backlog but at any one point in time, I know that these are the two or three things that I'm actually doing um, and just seeing that progress through it as well. But frankly, I use it for everything. I use it to capture notes. I use it to think, um, to like problem solve, uh, to organize trips away, do everything really. I love it. I hadn't heard of that one. I'm going to have to check it out. Oh yeah, Trello is huge. And there's, but there's a lot of, if you just type on put up, um, Kanban software, like there's a lot of, you know, it's that card sorting thing. Yeah. Some people prefer old school and just like doing it on a wall. I, I really enjoy the digital one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Final one. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I think it was probably, I mean, it's, I've been given a fair bit of good advice, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think one of my favorites, particularly relating to our world was when I was actually at design school um, and I was doing some branding piece uh, I think it's for an ca imaginary cafe. And my design teacher at the time, my, my lecturer, he, he said, um, he just said, look, just start applying this principle, less is more. Because I, I wasn't using any white space. I was just trying to fill it. I was trying to get all this sort of branding in, if you like. And he just talked about how simplification and having less is more can often be more influential and more memorable 
and he showed me a bunch of logos and a bunch of sort of icons and simple kind of branding. Um, that was much more compelling than what I was working on. And so I've taken that, um, and that's my mantra often is from a content point of view is, you know, I work with instructional designers who are often trying to put so much in and get just all that right topic in and each scenario in. And it's like people don't learn that way, you know, so less yeah. is more, give them the framework and let them live and provide a better structure on the ground of like more effective teams and supportive managers and so on as well. So don't just try to do all the heavy lifting with more and more content. Oh yeah. I'd say that applies to life, not just, yeah, yeah, development. (laughs) Yeah. We're so used to just getting, I mean, even consumer society, we're just used to just piling it on and just like getting more and doing more as opposed to trying to simplify and pull back. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I have to say, I agree with that. And Aaron, I have to say, we have had a lot of guests on our podcast who have given us new things to think about, but I feel like you have given us new ways to actually think. And I have to say, this has been so insightful. I am so glad that you joined us today. Oh, that's really kind. And look, that's, I guess that that's what Model Thinkers Brief is. It's the, the whole brief Absolutely. is trying to support people to be smarter, faster. That's the brief. <laughs> that's the brief that we set out to fill the problem we we're trying to solve. So, um, we're trying to give people a bit of a shortcut to, to get use these mental models more dynamically because I think it's a really great opportunity. So thank you so much for the opportunity to share it. I love it. And I, I think it'll change how a lot of people go about the work that they do and thinking about the work that they do. So this has been absolutely wonderful. And of course, a big thank you to Chris and Leticia, my fantastic co-hosts. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. And thank you so much again to all of you. I really appreciate the opportunity and just the 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 conversation with you has been fun. Yeah, this was so interesting. And I have to say, I love your fun avatar that I saw in your article. It really does look like you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, big nose and dreads, it's not hard to do it to do a cartoon of it. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, many, many thanks to all of you in our community for listening today. And before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Volunteering with Metro DCATD will change your life. Are you ready to join our team? Go to dcatd.org forward slash volunteering and complete volunteer interest form. Check out dcatd.org for upcoming chapter events, learning programs, member benefits, and so much more. Music